I want to say that it's good to see everyone out with us this evening. We're glad you've come to worship God with us. Hopefully you'll enjoy some of the things we have to say and maybe be able to use a little bit of it as you go along life's way. This evening I want to ask you a question. And it's one that you don't hardly ever hear from a pulpit. But it's this. Why are you here? That sound odd to you? Why are you here? You're here for some reason. There's something that motivates you to be here. You got up. You, you could be doing a lot of things tonight other than, than being here. Why are you here? What is it that's driving you? What is the driving force that, that, that you are here? In John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus answered them and said unto them, or said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He said, I know why you're here. It's not just because of the miracles that I've done. It's because you were fed and I fed you with, with the loaves and with the fishes. You're here to get what you can out of me. That's, why he is, that's what he's saying to him. Now he goes on to tell him, labor not for the meat that perishes, but for everlasting food. Why are you here? Why are you wanting to follow Jesus? What is it that motivates you? You know, when I was growing up, my dad, Billy Joe Cole, he was, he, was a, he was a great father. He would bribe us. I mean, he was the king of bribers. I mean, and he would say stuff like this. He goes, son, when you go to school, if you get sit up there and behave yourself, I won't beat the tar out of you. <laughs> now, who could turn down that kind of a deal? You know, we didn't ask, are we going to church? Now, my, dad, my parents, I did not grow up in the church of Christ. I want you to know that. But we didn't get up and go, are we going? That's another one of them bribery deals. Son, you get ready to go to church, and I won't beat the tar out of you. <laughs> I mean, we're going to church. I grew up loving Sundays. Sunday is still my favorite day of the week. When I was a boy growing up in Louisiana, my dad would go crabbing and shrimping on Saturday night. Now, during the week, we got whatever mama threw in the pot. But on Sunday, we got fried shrimp and shrimp gumbo. We got the good stuff. And I, and, but before I could get that meal, I had to go listen to some guy talk. And forever, the dude would take the long way around the bar. I mean, I knew what was waiting at home. And I don't know whether my parents did Sundays that way because they wanted me to be in love with Sunday. But that was what we did. We got up, we got dressed, we went to church, and then you got shrimp gumbo. I mean, who can turn down a deal like that? That's great. Why are you here? What is motivating you to be here? What brought you here? Are you here because mom and dad made you? Are you here because you want to see friends? There's good time. Why are we here? We don't want people to think bad of it. What motivates you to be here? Jesus asked him that question. You know, we think the apostles were immune to this kind of stuff. In the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 27, I want you to hear the words of Simon Peter. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Do you, you know, one of the abilities that I have, and it's a unique talent, I want you to know that, is I can take King James and turn it into Texas talk. <laughs> you know what Peter just said in our vernacular? What's in it for me? I don't see an upside to this. Lord, we walked away from our houses. We walked away from families. We quit our job. What's in it? It didn't look like it was going too good. 
What's in it for us? They wondered the same thing. What's in it for us? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses and brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. He told them what's in it for them. He told them why they were following him. Because you're following me because you're going to get back 300 fold. You're going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Why are you here? And what's in it for you? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse number 5, the Bible says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. What? Know you not your own heart? You know your heart. I don't know your heart. I don't know what motivates you. I don't know what it is that makes you want to come and do this and go to church morning and night and every day. I'm glad they got Brother Jim to do the morning. I remember back when Plainview would have the two-a-day services, and you can exhaust the Bible in a week. I guarantee you that. Why are you doing this? Examine yourself. You know your heart. You know what's in your heart. You know whether you're for real or not. Jesus knows it as well. I went into a kayak shop. Stay with me. I'm not off the rail. Really, I know this is going somewhere. Stay with me. I went into a kayak shop, you know, where you paddle the little boat. Because I got into that a while back. And I really like kayaking. So I went in. I read some books on it and bought me a little one, you know, and was kind of paddling around the lake. I never did a river because if you go down the river, you got to figure out how to get back. And I was by myself, so you, you really don't want to do that. That's not too good. But I went into this kayak shop. And I, told, I asked the little guy that was selling this stuff. I said, what's the number one thing you sell? You know what he told me? Self-delusion. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, yeah, self-deception. That's the number one thing I sell. I, I goes, look, you come in here, right? You're, wanting to, you're doing this kayaking thing. Yeah. He goes, I got this boat up here. It's $6,000. It's made of uh, carbon fibers. It's real light. Carry it with one hand. It's 17 feet long. It's narrow. It's easy to paddle. It's got hatches where you can put all your gear in it, and you can camp out and live off, off of that kayak. And he looked at me and goes, do you really see yourself doing that? Now, for us roughing it when we camp, Roughing is when we can't get the satellite to tune in, <laughs> right? I know, I don't see him. He goes, I sell bunches of that stuff and all the gear and equipment. And a guy takes it home and he spent all that money and he puts it up on a shelf and he never uses it. You don't need all that. And I walked out of there thinking, hey, I appreciate the kid doing that because I mean, I'm just fine. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Don't deceive yourself. Brother Jim talked about that this morning, didn't he? God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Be ye hearers of the word, not doers only, deceiving your own selves. Are you doing it? Are we lost in self-deception? We're lying to ourselves. When I coached football, I used to tell the boys, when you go home tonight, whether we win, lose, or draw, that's not what's important. But when you look at that guy in the mirror, don't you lie to him. Did you do the best you could? 
And if you did the, if you could look at that guy in the mirror and say that I did the very best I could, you'll never hear me gripe. If you did your very best and we still lost anyway, we'll just tip our hat to the other team and we'll go on to the next game. But don't lie to that guy in the mirror. Do we lie to the guy in the mirror about our spiritual well-being? Do we? We deceiving ourselves? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. It's great that you come and listen, and I appreciate that. But are we going to put these things in practice? Do you know what happens when you put these things in practice? And it's not just ink on a page, but you actually do it. Do you know what the Bible calls that? You become a living epistle. And that's what Paul wanted the people to do. Become living epistles. Why are you here? What is motivating you? Now I've been debating this next move. This may be a career decision. If you're under the age of 25, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up. Come on. I'm not going to have you quote the 23rd Psalm or nothing like that. If you're under the age of 25, stand up. Old people, look around this room. Isn't that amazing? That's wonderful. Now you can all sit down. You know, it's also heartbreaking. They did a survey a while back. And in the denominational religious world, 80% of the young people under 25, by the time they hit 25, will no longer be a part of the church. They're going to walk away. Now, the churches of Christ do a little better. Of course, they lumped us all together. 50%. You saw all them young people standing up? Half of you won't be here when you're 25. Now, Brother Jim this morning talked to you about watching guys go buy a trash can and throw a Bible in it. Half of you, according to statistics, according to the law of averages, 50% of you are going to throw your Bible in a trash can and walk away. Why are you here? Now, here's why I'm bringing that up. This is why I did that. We are not ignorant of Satan and his devices. We know how the devil works, don't we? We know it's coming. You've been warned. Now what are you going to do about it? How are you going to keep from being a statistic? How are you going to not be the one that throws his Bible or her Bible in the trash can? What are you going to do about it? It's one thing to know it's coming. Brother Jim laid it out very clear this morning. What are you going to do about it? You going to do anything? What's going to keep you from being that statistic? That 50%. These babies. Now, I'm going to tell you what, as an old man, that 50% number, that's unacceptable. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not losing any of them. Now, I'm not worried about the girls from Gunner because they're all under contract. I make them sign a contract, you know, <laughs> like that. And they know that they'll be in legal issues if they do. What's going to stop us? from walking away. Why are we here? What's in your heart? Now, Jim talked this morning. You, sometimes people walk away and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. They come back to it. Let me tell you the goal of an eldership. And I learned this one by being in an eldership. Paul said, I want to present you to Christ without spot and blameless, talking to the brethren. Every elder I've ever known has one goal. When he stands before his God, he wants to be able to look God in the eye and say, Lord, 
Here's your congregation. They're all here. We didn't lose a one. And we even picked a few up along the way. Now, we know that's not realistic, isn't it? We know people are going to quit. And not just young people. Sometimes old people quit, too. And that's real sad because you're turning the corner toward home. I'm not at the finish line, but I can see it from here. <laughs> Closer than we were. You know, I have only quit one thing in my whole life. Only one time did I quit. And it has haunted me for all these years. And I was about 16 when it happened. I want you to know that. It's not a good feeling. I ran track. And they put me in the mile run. Now, why would they put a 200-pound kid in a mile run? Well, that's where you put all your scrubs. You got to let them have something to do. So let them run forever, you know. He run. I got in trouble training for the mile run. We would run around our little town, called it a circuit trainer. It was 10 miles around town. What our coach did not, he took, he, he took us off that and put us out in the woods running because he figured out what we were doing. There was a convenience store on each end of town. And I would leave the football field and I would run to one end of town to get me a candy bar and an RC cola. Got an RC because they come in the big size. And by the time I got to the other convenience store, I had done ate my candy bar and drank my RC and I got another one. <laughs> And he couldn't figure out why are these guys not getting in shape. And then he, the, the lights came on, you know. Now, when you run the mile run, like I did, you're the last event of the day. So you're sitting there all day long. And my mama knew that. Bless my mama's little heart. And she loved her baby. And she knows her baby gets hungry. And her baby has to be fed. So mama got up on one of the days I was going to run track. I was about 16 or so. And, and she fixed me three fried hot dog sandwiches i love fried hot dogs if you've never done that you got to try that and a family size bag of potato chips and two big rcs and you know what i did all day while the other kids were running i ate hot dog fried hot dogs potato chips and rc cola well there come time for the mile run and i got up there on the starting line and i'm heading around and i'm doing pretty good on that first lap i'm leading the pack on the second lap, I started falling behind. On the third lap, things were not working right. <laughs> and finally, when I got to the infield on that third lap, I collapsed. I went down. And we saw them hot dogs again, by the way. <laughs> but you know, I didn't finish the race. There wasn't no blue ribbon. There wasn't no cheerleaders. There wasn't no band playing. Our coach looks around and goes, where did he go? And I'm laying on the infield dying out there, you know. Didn't finish the race. It was a terrible day. Are we going to quit? Are you going to walk away? 50% of you, according to statistics, are going to grow up, throw your Bible in the trash, and walk away. Bill Parcells coached the Dallas Cowboys. And he got them into the playoffs. And he has a film that he shows his players. And in this film, it's playoff time. And in every one of these cases, there's some guy that pulls a bonehead play that cost his team the playoff. And they go through it. Of course, they're all laughing. And boy, it's funny to watch these guys. And some of them are making little league mistakes, things you learn in peewee football. And they're pros. Then he would turn it off and he goes, what I've showed you is one guy that messes up and ruins it for everybody. And then he said this, don't be that guy. Don't throw your soul away. 
Don't throw your Bible in the trash can. Don't be that guy. You can prevent that. But you've got to start now. And you've got to work at it. And you've got to try right now. Now, I got to thinking, why are we here? And what's motivating us? You know, there are characters around Jesus' death. Some of them make sense to me and some of them don't. Judas Iscariot, Luke 22, 5 to 6. I understand Judas somewhat. Judas was a thief. Judas had this money issue. He had a money problem. You know, I don't believe Judas intended for Jesus to die. I really don't. Now, y'all can disagree with me and, and we can debate what was actually going on in Judas's head. But you know, Judas had been with Jesus when he saw him come to try to take him and Jesus passed through the midst of him and went on about his business. You know, Judas saw that. So Judas is running a scam. I believe he's running a scam. He's a con man. He's running a scam on the Pharisees. They give him 30 pieces of silver. He shows them Jesus. Jesus passes through the myth. Not my problem, boys. And you don't get no refunds. No returns. You know what I mean? Only this time, Jesus didn't pass through the mist. This time they took him. And they beat him. And they crucified him. And that's why Judas went back and threw the money down at their feet. And then he went out and hung himself. Talk about quitting. There's the ultimate quit right there. He quit. He couldn't live with what he had done. Jesus knew Judas. He knew his heart. But Jesus didn't make Judas do that. He didn't make Judas betray him. He didn't make Judas walk away. He knew he was gonna. But there's a difference in foreknowledge and predetermined. It's not predetermined, young people, that half of you are going to walk away. It's not predetermined. Statistics and averages say that it's going to happen. We know it's coming. Now, what about Simon Peter? Over there in Luke 22 also. I like Simon Peter. Peter's one of my favorite guys. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Lord, you know who you're talking to? This ain't just your run-of-the-mill apostle, as if there was such a thing. This is Simon Peter. This is the rock. This is the one you're going to give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is the guy that on the day of Pentecost is going to open the doors to the church and 3,000 are going to rush in. Yeah, he knew he was talking to. Simon said, Lord, I'm going to go with you to prison and to death. Now the next words out of Jesus' mouth had to scare Peter somewhat to death. He said, I'm telling you right now, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter could not see himself denying his Lord three times in his life, let alone in one night. In a million years, Peter never thought he would betray the Lord and deny him. But he did. And if Satan can work on Simon Peter, he can work on me and you. We're not ignorant of his devices, young people. The reason we're having this meeting and the reason you got these old guys and, and Brother Jim was a good football player. He, he, on the level he played on, not many ever get to go there. And by the way, Jim, I've noticed a lot of guys your age that played like that and they all walk the same. <laughs> there's another lesson. There's a lesson in that somewhere. We're going to have to work on that one. That's a high impact life, isn't it? 
Never in a million years can you picture yourself doing what Peter did, can you? You can't picture yourself throwing a Bible in a trash can. But they do it every day. It happens every day. Let me give you something, parents. If you've got little ones, you listen right now. Let me tell you one of the biggest dangers you're going to face. These kids are going to grow up and they're going to meet somebody out there that may or may not be a Christian. And they're going to want to marry that person. Strongest one wins. And if your child marries a worldly person and that worldly person is stronger in the world than your child is in the faith, your child is gone. Strongest one wins. You remember that. That's one of the ways you prevent this from happening. Is you make sure they're solid as a rock. That they're not going to walk away. How many times have we heard the deal? He married a wife. Hundreds of times. Over and over again. You know the one that I've always wondered about? Young people, be careful with this stuff. We've met people and we've met them all through the years. And a wife would tell the husband, she's not a member of the church. He goes, if you'll go, I'll go with you. And he won't do it. What is wrong with you people? Wake up. Smell the coffee. I'll go with you if you'll go and you won't do it. What is wrong with you? Well, I guess we played church instead of really we're part of it. This ain't a game. This is real. And when Brother Jim was talking about God is not mocked, what you sow, you'll reap. You sow to the flesh, you reap the flesh. You know, you can be forgiven for anything, but there, for, there's a difference in being forgiven and the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences. And God is not mocked. Why are you here? And what's going to keep you here? What's going to motivate you? Now, let me tell you something. One of the things that, that has really motivated me over the years, Bev and I, we're going on 45 years, and we've had 43 good ones. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Those first two were a killer. <laughs> that was rough. You know, we talk about trusting the Lord. About 18 months into this marriage, we decided we'd made a mistake. We'd both messed up. We married the wrong one. And she was in packing so I could take her home. And I went, it was in the other room and I was dying in there. Well, how did the wheels come off this thing like that? I'm fixing to divorce her. And I was crazy about her. And I had an epiphany. That means I had a, a vision. <laughs> I saw the future. Okay, any rate, one of the best ideas I ever had, I grabbed two Bibles and two concordances and I said, I know it's over, and I know you're going to go home, and we messed up. But before you do, I'd like to try one thing. And at this point, she's not, oh, yeah, let's try. She's, what? <laughs> you got to get past that. So at any rate, I got past that, and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible in concordance, and I want you to go in the room, shut the door, and write down everything you can find that God told a wife to do. Now she's snarling. You can imagine, I should have started with me. That would have been the bright thing to do, but I've never been that bright. I just kind of plunge into things. 
And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to write down every command God told a husband to do and how to be a husband. Okay, so she agreed to do that and we both did and we came out. Always bothered me that I had more commands than she did, but we, we got past that too. any rate, she goes, now what are we going to do with this? I said, we're going to hang them on the refrigerator. Fried hot dogs, <laughs> sound familiar? Anyway, rate, we're going to hang it on the fridge because I know I'll see it. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit worrying about you and I'm going to start doing what God told me to do. And like a miracle, that marriage changed overnight. When I started doing what God told me, when I finally trusted my Savior to do what he told me to do, I saved my family. He saved my family. Now, four kids and grandkids later, we can't imagine not being together. I know that every time we've got in a mess, it's because Marlon was driving the bus. And when I let God have control of it, and I let God have control of my life, and I did, even when I didn't want to do it, what God told me to do, like a miracle, it just straightened out. That's called trusting Him. And all these years, I've learned to do that. When we get in a mess, we go back to the book. We find out what God wants us to do. Now, Simon Peter was no coward. You know, he had a sword. And now, he was a fisherman. He wasn't, a, he wasn't Zorro. Google that, young people. You'll know who Zorro is. any rate, he wasn't a swordsman. And so, when they come to take Jesus, he was John Wayne. Google that one, too. any rate... He stood between Jesus and that mob, and he said, you may take him, but you're going over me first. And I'm going to tell you something, boys. I'm taking as many of you with me as I can. And he swung that sword. He cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, you believe what you want to. I don't believe he was aiming for his ear. I believe the guy ducked and he got his ear. I believe Simon intended to cut him clean in two. Jesus said, put your sword up, Simon. You live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. You see, Simon was ready to stand there and die with the Lord. He was ready to stand his ground and, and, and make a manly stand, and, but he wasn't ready to fight a spiritual battle. Now, I, I know my brethren. I know most of y'all. And I know this. When somebody comes up and slaps you in the face, your first reaction isn't turn the other cheek. I guarantee you that's not your first thought. Not mine either. That's what Jesus said to do. Simon was ready to die. He was serious. But he wasn't ready to just let him take him and kill him. He wasn't ready for the spiritual battle that Jesus was waging. Now later on, Peter did live up to that. And he did die a martyr's death for the Lord. You know what I believe about my brethren? I believe my brethren fear a bruised ego more than they fear a broken bone. You ever gone door to door? You ever knocked on those doors? Sometimes people are rude to you. Did you know that? People go, Marlon, I don't know how you guys do it. Go up and down the street and door to door and all that. How do you take that rejection? I learned it asking girls out in high school. I don't know how y'all going to do it. <laughs> but you know, if I, if I couldn't stand rejection, the one I married turned me down three times before she said yes. That's a true story. Are we afraid of a bruised ego? Are we ready to fight a spiritual battle? We labor not. We fight not. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
Paul said. It's not a physical fight. It's a spiritual fight. Have you ever done the right thing and felt bad about it? I did, right here in Plainview, Texas. There was a fellow one time that accused me of throwing a limb in his yard, and he come over there and he about half lit, and he's three quarters anyway, lit, and don't Google that. But he said, he, opened, he said, if you do something like that again, I'm gonna thrash you. You know what a thrashing is, boy? I'm about 23 at the time, 22, and he's gotta be in his 70s today. He can't even stand up straight to cuss me. And I'm thinking, I hope you know Jesus because you're fixing to meet him. <laughs> and then I thought, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. I said, well, I'm sorry that happened. I'll go over there and get that, put it in my yard and take care of it for you. And he goes, well, you're all right. And, I, I, and so then he walked off. I turned the other cheek. I, did I went and did something I didn't have to do to, to make peace. And that's exactly what Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said do. Are you proud of me? I hated me. I mean, as he's walking away, I go, what is wrong with you, you wimp? What did you let him do that to you for? You see, we're not always ready to fight a spiritual battle. The Sermon on the Mount, easy words. But brethren, they're hard to practice. And sometimes when we do, we still feel bad about ourselves. I did the right thing and I hated every minute of it. But you know when you're growing is when you do his will instead of your will. Now Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And we always apply that to other churches. You know what he was really talking about? You know, somebody goes, well, what's the will of the Father? What he just told you in the Sermon on the Mount is the will of the Father. Those that won't turn the other cheek, those that won't go the extra mile, those that don't treat others the way they want to be treated, those that don't pray for them that despitefully use them and persecute them. That's who he's talking about. Are you doing the will of the Father? Peter was not ready to fight that battle. But in a million years, he never saw himself doing what he's fixing to do. Do you see yourself throwing a Bible in a trash can and walking away? Not in a million years. But statistics say half of you are going to do that. That you're going to walk away. Why are you here? Now you got old Pilate. Now I don't know. There's some people think Pilate was kind of a gushy cookie. I think he was just ruthless and a politician. That's what I think. But you know what old Pilate did? When he realized that a tumult was going to be made. Now that's King James' word for a riot. When there was going to be a riot... He delivered an innocent man to be killed and he knew he was innocent. But you know what Pilate tried to do? He took water and washed his hands. And I know there was a custom among the Jews in the temple and maybe he was throwing it back in their teeth. I don't know. But he took water and washed his hands and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See you to it. You know what the crowd cried? Let his blood be upon us and our children. I don't know about you, but I'm going... You know, Pop, you might want to think this one through. I'm not sure I want on, my, on your children. You're, you're kidding, right? Do you know what the irony of the Bible is? They said, let his blood be upon us and our children. You go to the book of Acts, and you know they brought the apostles that were preaching Jesus in, and they said, they intend to bring this man's blood upon us. <laughs> well, I thought that's what you just asked for. Be careful what you ask for. 
You know what Pilate couldn't do? Pilate could not wash his hands of Jesus. He couldn't do it. He couldn't wash that away. Within two years of this event, Pilate commits suicide. Now, scholars in the world will have you tell killing Jesus had nothing to do that with that. Right. You know, sure it did. You know, you can't wash your hands of him either. Now, let me tell you something, and this is, this is the gospel truth. Whether you choose to follow Jesus tonight or not, whether you decide to become on fire Christian for the Lord, or you decide to be an atheist total, once you've met Jesus and once you've heard the gospel, you'll never be the same. It will change you. Felix wanted to see a miracle out of Paul in Acts 24. But Paul came to him and Paul told him the truth. And evidently Paul was pretty persuasive. Because as Felix reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. It shook him to the cord. You think that man was ever the same after that? Go thy way. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. Put the decision off and he never did call. But he wasn't ever the same. He knew about judgment, righteousness, and Jesus Christ. If you're in the sound of my voice, you can walk out of here and try to wash your hands, but you ain't going to do it. You will never be the same once you come in contact with the, with the master. You know the saddest verse in the Bible, in my opinion, and this is just humble opinion, is King Agrippa. The Apostle Paul is preaching before King Agrippa. And you know, sometimes after years of doing these Bible studies with people, we can look across that table into their eyes and we can see what they're thinking. Just as sure as if they'd have said it or wrote it in a book. You can tell. And that's what Paul did with Agrippa. He preached to that king on that throne. And he looked him in the eye. And he could tell. And he said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? And he didn't wait for an answer. He said, I know you believe. He could see it. And then Agrippa said what a lot of people do. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. But he didn't do it. Why are you here? What's motivating you? When are we going to turn our life over to Jesus? Let him have control. The guy that I don't understand is a guy in Matthew 27, about verse 32, by the name of Simon the Cyrenian. Simon was compelled by the Romans to carry, this is an understatement in the Bible, if you ask me, I bet he was compelled. <laughs> you know, if a Roman soldier came up to you and said, pick up that cross, you know, you probably didn't argue with him too much. He had, they had very persuasive methods to get you to do what they wanted you to do. You know what Simon was doing? He was in Jerusalem probably to worship the Passover, and he's in the crowd looking to see what's going on. He had no intention of getting involved with this guy. He was just in the crowd. He was an onlooker. You know, it's, not, it's always puzzled me. But if you're going on the northbound side of the freeway and traffic stops because there's a wreck on the southbound side, 
You know what they call that? Onlooker traffic. <laughs> Simon was an onlooker. He was an onlooker. And he just wanted to see what was going on. And the Roman soldier said, you pick that cross up and you carry it. And he did. But he set it down too. He didn't have any intention of getting involved with this. Now, maybe he later on became part of the faith. I don't know. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Maybe it's the same Rufus we read about later in Scripture. I don't know. Maybe not. But I know this. He didn't intend to do that. I've got to be honest with you. I want to be totally honest with you people. I had no intention of being here. When I showed up in Gunner in 1973, I had no intention of becoming an evangelist, let alone an elder. And I had no intention of ever preaching from a pulpit in the Church of Christ. I was there for a date. That's all I was wanting. But you grew on me. And you know, once you come in contact with the Master, things happen, don't they? And things change. But I was Simon the Serenian. I was just an onlooker. I was just part of the crowd. And I was perfectly happy just to sit on the bench and not get involved. But it didn't work that way, did it? Why are you here? Are you part of this? Are you part of this work? Are you just here watching the show? Are you just here for some other reason? Why are you here? What's motivating you to be here? In the book of John, the 19th chapter, toward the end of this gospel, the Bible tells us some things. In John chapter 19, verse 26, this is after all has been said and done there. Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own house. And after this, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And then you go on and he dies. You know what his last thought was? Take care of my mom. That was the last request of the master. But he had a disciple there that took her to his own house. And Jesus didn't have to worry about it no more. He wasn't just an onlooker. That disciple was not just there to see what was going on. He was part of the game. He intended to be part of it. Do you? Can Jesus trust you? Can he put things in your hands and trust you to get it done? Or does he have to worry about it? We're unreliable. There was a story growing up, and I always loved this story. There's a, they would have a revival, and that's what we called them, these things, was revivals. And we'd have a revival, and nobody would come forward until this one little old fella came up and asked to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now you got to remember where I come from, okay? So it's a little different. And so he come up, and every year when he come up, he want to be filled with the Spirit. Then, then people would start coming forward, and they had a revival. One year the old man came up and asked to be filled with the Spirit, and one guy in the back goes, don't do it, Lordy leaks. <laughs> True story. Do we leak? Can God count on you? Can Jesus count on us? I think it's precious words, and I want to leave you with this thought. Used to hear a sermon called The Day Thomas Missed Church. You, you, you'll know the play on words. But 
I know the church hadn't been established. I'm well aware of this. Don't, don't worry about that. Just go with it, okay? But anyway, the Lord appeared to the apostles and Thomas was not there. And then Thomas came in after the Lord had left and they all said, hey, the Lord's appeared to us. And Thomas goes, I'm tell you one thing, boys. I'm not going to believe until I put my hand in his side and I feel them nail prints. So the next time the Lord appeared, Thomas was there. And Jesus walked up to him and said, put your hand here. And Thomas felt him. And he fell down and he said, my Lord and my God. Now what Jesus said next is the words of hope. He said, blessed are you, Thomas, because seeing you have believed. But blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. That's me and you, folks. We're not going to get to put our hand in the nail print. We're not going to get to see the things the apostles saw and did. Blessed are you that have not seen those things and yet have believed. Why are you here? What is motivating you? Are you here to be a part of the Lord? Will you also go away? If we can help you, come as we stand and sing.